Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's an exciting time to bet on, I guess, whenever this coronavirus is going to end. Because it's not an exciting time of the year for sports. But without a doubt, people are going to be looking to get in on the action. And we have the best place for you to go. My bookie, if you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. My bookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around. And if you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit two grand right now, you get an extra grand. Or yeah, an extra grand and free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV, that's capital BLV, to activate the offer. Once again, that promo code is capital BLV to get your extra cash from my bookie. Bet, win, get paid, my bookie. With that being said, hey guys, today is Monday, March 16th, 2020, day number five, Cinco of absolutely nothing due to the coronavirus. There are no sports, there's no school, no music, no gym, no nothing. But the show must go on, as they say in showbiz. So Mark Wahlberg's latest film, Spencer Confidential, is out now on Netflix. It was released on March 6th. So we're going to talk about Spencer Confidential and all of its glory as Marky Mark plays another Bostonian who is a cop. Neat. And since there is no sports, we'll also have a flashback interview of the week to kick off the week of March 16th with Savannah Bananas president Jared Orton discussing how Bananas baseball plans on being front and center of collegiate baseball through their uh, creative promotions down in Savannah, Georgia at Grayson Stadium. And him and Jesse Cole continue to do an amazing job down at Grayson Stadium in Savannah. And hopefully this interview serves as a reminder that the boys are only getting started. So let's get started ourselves, shall we? Episode 171 presented by Belly Up Sports. Remember to follow Belly Up Sports on the Twitter and at Instagram at Belly Up Sports. This episode of the O Show is sponsored by TickPick. If you use the promo code OSHO10, that's capital O-S-H-O-W-10. You'll get $10 off your next order at, you guessed it, TickPick.com, you bastards. And if you're into banging weights, eating steaks, and sleeping eights, head on over to MechaNutritionStore.com using the promo code OSHO20, that's capital O-S-H-O-W-20, for $20 off your next order at MechaNutritionStore.com. Remember, swole's the goal, size of the prize. Let's go, 171, coming in hot. Spencer Confidential. Again, Mark Wahlberg back home to Boston again. And if the name's Spencer, which is the uh, title character in Spencer Confidential, if it sounds familiar, there's a reason. Uh, it was introduced in, I think, Robert Parker's, uh, it was the Godwolf manuscript, uh, Boston private investigator Spencer. Um, he enjoyed remarkable long- longevity with Parker, turning out some, like, I would say 35, 40 books before his death in uh, 2010. And then Ace Atkins continued the string with eight others so far. But with all that material, 
Um, it's really no surprise that multiple Parker books have uh, been filmed, and this is one of them, uh, the story of Private Investigator Spencer. No, not the first name, though. Friends have been known to call him Spence. Uh, but again, it's no surprise that uh, these books have been filmed. They've, they've uniformly been uh, shown on the small screen with ABC, Lifetime, A&E, all having their shot at the material. So it, it's nothing if it's not fitting that this uh, latest Spencer incarnation makes its bow on Netflix, because everything's on Netflix now. You could watch it on your watch. You could watch it on your lunchbox, but not the big screen. Uh, this starred, again, Mark Wahlberg, was directed by Peter Berg. It's an, an entertaining example of uh, private eye genre material, energetic, violent, funny, comedic, uh, with those key players uh, being a big part of the reason why. And, and such a native of the city that, the, of course, Dorchester Street that he lived on during his teenage years makes an appearance in the film. Mark Wahlberg is the definition, you could say, of Boston charisma. And more than that, uh, I think Mark Wahlberg is at ease with an ex-cop turned investigator role that demands the ability to be a convictingly uh, tough action hero as well as knowing your way uh, around a funny line because Mark Wahlberg's connection with the part is helped by the long relationship here that he has with uh, 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 Berg, the director, Peter Berg. Uh, and, and this is their fifth film together. And it's a collaboration that started with, of course, Lone Survivor in 2013. Um, you had Deepwater Horizon, Patriots Day as well. And as for Berg, I mean, he brings a ton of energy, commitment, and a, I guess a sense of comedic fun, you could say, to what might have been a more standard genre exercise, dealing as it does with the familiar stew of uh, dirty cops, uh, a corrupt establishment, and drug smuggling street gangs with, again, a taste for a machete wielding violence and adapted uh, apparently quite loosely from uh, Atkins uh, what was it Robert Parker's Wonderland book where Spencer Confidential here has uh, ended up with a you know an amusing script exerptly tailored to its actors by Sean O'Keefe and uh, the uncanny veteran Brian Hegelgen and I think as smartly uh, casted by the veteran Sheila uh, Jaffe, Spencer Confidential uh, gets spot-on performances from a variety of actors here, from household names like Alan Arkin to other less celebrated, uh, uh, celebrated but undeniably talented folks like Austin Post. You may know him, Post Malone. Uh, but Spencer Confidential, uh, it begins... I'm never going to get that right. Spencer Confidential. Spencer Confidential begins... Uh, it begins in you know full action mode, of course, with with the title character going to the house of his superior, Boston Police Captain John Boylan, played by Michael Gaston, and of course wailing the the tar out of him as partner uh, Driscoll, Bokeem Woodbine. He uh, tries to restrain him, of course. We won't learn uh, Spencer's reasons for the outburst until later on in the film. But what happens immediately here after watching this is that he's sentenced to five years in a correctional facility in prison. And the film picks Spencer up on his uh, last day inside in prison. And the word prison is helpfully flashed on the screen in giant letters so nobody misses it. <laughs> and uh, as a group of uh, inmates attempt to ambush him before he can get out, just choked on my own uh, saliva there. But uh, good luck 
with that, Mark Wahlberg, because Spencer has big plans to leave Boston, uh, restart his life as a driver in uh, Arizona, of all places. But fate, as they say, intervenes. So our hero here, Mark Wahlberg, Spencer, private detective, is uh, picked up outside prison by his old mentor and uh, boxing, you could say MMA coach too, Henry Simoli. He's played by... uh, his most irascible mode by the uh, irresistible arc in here. And Spencer is grateful for Simoli's offer of a place to stay, but doesn't relish in the fact of having to share his room and I guess you could say his dog Pearl's affections with uh, his coach's latest protege. And his name is Hawk, played by Winston Duke, who's a very huge man with a lot of MMA potential but a very, very bad inability to throw a punch that Spencer is tasked to kind of remedy here. He's kind of uh, his mentor in this movie. Also hoping here to reconnect with uh, Spencer as someone he's desperate to avoid, his old girlfriend, Sissy Davis, uh, a woman with, again, a fierce temper, Bostonian temper, New York, you might say, Jersey, you might say, East Coast temper. They're all the same, Uh, but she uh, is not to be trifled with here, not even a little bit. So no sooner does Spencer hit the Boston streets than his old nemesis here, Captain Boyland, he was murdered the night he got out, I think, the night that Mark Wahlberg's character got out of prison and he immediately becomes the biggest suspect because he kicked his ass at the beginning of the movie. Then the crime is laid at the feet of another cop, uh, nominal suicide, who's, again, his wife uh, is convinced, as is Spencer, that he had nothing to do with it. He was he was uh, framed for this guy's murder. And because he's hardwired to do the right thing, uh, Mark Wahlberg, Spencer, uh, puts his trucking uh, dreams aside and decides to investigate. So with Hawk as his uh, reluctant partner in this situation, you know, their journey is traditional, but Spencer Confidential here wouldn't be as uh, much fun as it is if it wasn't. So a possible sequel was actually teased at the end of this movie, and uh, that wouldn't be a half-bad idea. It was actually a pretty good movie here. It was rated R. It was about an hour, 50 minutes, again, streaming on Netflix. Uh, It's been streaming on Netflix since March 6th. Wahlberg's in it. Uh, We said Post Malone's in it. Cowboy Donald Cerrone's in it. UFC fighter. It was actually a funny story. So Mark Wahlberg has... So many different fight stories, like the one with Joaquin Phoenix, and it's funny how many of those fights got a little too real, and he gets his ass kicked constantly in in, in this movie, Spencer Confidential. Is it Spencer Confidential? Confidential? I think it's Spencer Confidential, and it sounds like one challenge was working with uh, real fighters who didn't know how to fake it, like Donald Cowboy Cerrone. So Cerrone here, again, a UFC fighter who played uh, Big Boy was his name in this movie, and really, re- he really went for it in his fight scene with Mark Wahlberg. And here's how Mark Wahlberg explained it in a Netflix behind-the-scenes video. He said, the most dangerous thing that I've done in film was fighting with UFC fighter Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Cowboy's never been in a fake fight in his life. I was like, you're kicking me pretty hard, man. And uh, in in the same video, Cowboy Cerrone said that uh, Peter Berg, the director, who loved seeing Mark Wahlberg get his ass kicked in this movie, wanted to make the fight uh, more action-packed and realistic. And Cowboy Cerrone said he couldn't believe that he was getting paid to have the the fun, the most fun he's ever had on a set. And Mark Wahlberg even noted at the end of the day, nobody was hurt. They didn't break anything. The stunt team made sure that they were all good. 
but still, Cowboy Cerrone offered his apologies to Mark Wahlberg for going a little too hard in his fake fight. He said, the first time being in a fake fight was a little too real. Sorry, Mark Wahlberg. And that's what he said on Twitter. And uh, I think there was probably an element of pride mixed in with that apology because Mark Wahlberg may be an actor, but he's a pretty tough guy himself. And intimidating him probably can't be easy. And, uh, of course, Spencer Confidential is Mark Wahlberg's fifth movie, like we said, with Peter Berg. But the first where he really needed to be fit. But that was, again, no sweat from Mark Wahlberg, who lost, what was it, 10 pounds in five days with apparent ease in his new workout program. So now what, though? The ending of the movie, like we said, sets up a sequel here. And that was always the big, uh, the big picture plan with Netflix's uh, uh, adaption of the Robert B. Parker character. So reviews for Spencer Confidential haven't been great. I thought it was a good movie, but it's what the fans think that really matters. I'm a fan. I thought it was good. Apparently, the movie is getting a lot of views on the streamer, on the clicker. And uh, Spencer Confidential is the number one movie in over 70 countries. So, uh, again, and that's Mark Wahlberg from his Twitter thanking everybody who watched around the world. I mean, do you hope that Mark Wahlberg returns for more Spencer action? I do. I'd like to see the sequel uh, to keep getting his ass kicked handed to him every few minutes with getting very little information each time he gets his ass kicked. But for now, uh, since we're not supposed to do much but uh, quarantine and chill, as they say, uh, during the coronavirus outbreak, consider streaming Spencer Confidential on Netflix. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of other options on the streamer as well. Use the clicker on your television screen. Uh, yeah. Go check it out on Netflix right now. I'm not going to give away too many spoilers for you. You can watch it on your lunchbox. Like I said, watch it on your fucking watch. With that being said, let's talk to Savannah Bananas president, Jared Orton, because we have nothing else. We, we got no sports to talk about. So we're going to talk sports in a past tense. Did this interview last July in Savannah, Georgia, at Grayson Stadium. Met up with Jesse Cole, the owner. Met up with the president, Jared Orton. Jared Orton and I talked for almost an hour about Bananas baseball and how they're trying to revolutionize, trying to evolve the game of baseball, trying to speed up the pace of play, uh, adding new uh, promotional ideas. They make their own Savannah banana beer. They brew it with actual bananas. Wasn't half bad. I had one out of game. So let's talk to Jared Orton after this quick word from Mecca Nutrition. Do you find yourself constantly working on your physique only to find no real results? Or are you officially fed up with your lack of progress in weight loss and weight gain programs? Then do I have a solution for you? Mecca Nutrition, build a better you. Choose from a variety of products including protein, carbohydrates, creatine, pre-workouts, vitamins, and more. Why choose Mecca Nutrition? Mecca Nutrition is a family-owned and operated sports nutrition store located in the heart of Bakersfield, California. Mecca's goal is to provide you, the customer, with the best customer service, nationally recognized products that you know are tried and true, and most of all, they have the best prices around. If you have any questions or concerns, feel free to contact Mecca Nutrition via social media on Facebook and Instagram at Mecca Nutrition. You can email them or you can call the shop as well at 661-695-9061. Again, that's 661 695 9061. I've been using Mecca Nutrition products for over a year and a half now, and for someone with an extremely high metabolism, I can tell you that these products work. I gained nearly 25 pounds of muscle after using Mecca's select products in the protein and carb aisle with products such as Redcon 1 meal replacement protein and carbs, as well as Neil's hookups. So feel free to call the shop or email Mecca's general manager at Neil. 
or Neil at MechaNutritionStore.com. Rumor has it, if you mention Mecha Nutrition, you may come away with an added discount as well, but you didn't hear it from me. So go check it out if you want to transform your body and get into the best shape possible right now. Mecha Nutrition, build a better you. Off with that all-star weekend this past week in Savannah, you guys changed it up a little bit. So I listened on your most recent podcast or... I think it was in late May when you guys yep. were talking about yep. All-Star Weekend, about what you planned on doing. Yep. Home run derby, a little more unconventional, which is great. The league let you do it. Yep. And the All-Star game, um, it was an article on ESPN basically saying he wanted to cut it down to like three inning games. Yep. So what exactly did you guys do during the All-Star Weekend to make it a little bit more unconventional, a little bit more interesting for the fans? Right, so the inspiration of the All-Star came from Keith Olbermann's article like two or three years right. ago. And the idea that he was you know, trying to like put in people's minds was that like the All-Star game had to be flipped on its head. You know, it cannot just continue to be home run derby on one night, nine-inning game that nobody cares about the next night, and like that's it. It cannot be that anymore. Right. It's just long and drawn out and overdone. And so what we started thinking about was, were there things that we could take from other sports and other all-star events and then, like, mold them and shape them into a baseball game? So, like, the Holman Derby, we kind of took the mindset of, um, like, the like the old school, like, layup, free throw, half-court shot, three-point shot type of idea from basketball. So it was like, you know, guys stood behind second base, flipped the ball to himself, hit the ball out. Then he went to second base, ball on a tee, hit the ball out. Then he had a coach, flip the ball to him behind the pitcher's mound, hit the ball out. Then he had to go all the way to home plate, get balls thrown to him, and that's how you know, however many home runs they hit at that point. That was like the home run derby, oh, yeah. and they had to do it all within two minutes. <laughs> and it was like, all right, give the fans something that they just haven't seen yeah. before. And, you know, whatever. To, to have a guy stand at home plate and just hit home, you know, try to hit home runs is, like, super boring. And so then the thought process came in, like, well, what if the home run derby determined a little bit of what could happen during the game? Right. So that's when kind of, like, the seeding and tournament play, like, started coming into our minds. So it was like, all right, the, the, the rankings of the home run derby then determines how the games will happen for the All-Star Showdown, and what if we can make them, you know, the short three-inning games like Keith Olbermann was talking about and eventually have a champion of the All-Star game? With the Home Run Derby, did the fans pick up on it right away, what was going on? Yeah, I think with the Home Run Derby, because you were, you were visually seeing this guy work from, like, behind the second base, second, like, you were seeing them work all the way through and cheering them on. I think it was a... I think they naturally kind of caught on to it. Obviously, we introduced it right. and explained to them what was happening. But I think they kind of naturally caught on to it. Like, you know, they're moving up levels. Oh, yeah. Which is, you know, something that we all kind of see in, in competition. You know, these people moving up from stage to stage to stage. And for the actual All-Star Showdown, you guys actually had Team Savannah yep. going up. It was a Team so- the Southern Division. Yes. And so the Southern Division is is made up of some of our players and some of the other, right. other players. And then Team Savannah was six players that literally tried out yep. for the game or t- to be a part of this team. <laughs> um, the last time most of them played baseball was like either in their adult league um, or maybe even back, you know, independent leagues or um, – <coughs> independent leagues, or some of them did play just college baseball. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of an interesting model that we put together. 
And what kind of uh, mix did you get when it came to, like, age groups? Like, did you get some kids try out, some, like, 60, 70-year-olds? What was the... We did. So we had had a six-year-old come, Zane. Excellent. Zane came, full uniform, (laughs) even made him do the 60-yard dash. Um, Not sure if he was over or under 10 seconds. I can't quite remember. Um, Made Zane do the 60-yard dash. (laughs) Had this family come. Uh, I think they have like an 8, 10, and 12-year-old, something like that. And, uh, you know, the interesting, and then we had like a 45-year-old, 50-year-old. The interesting thing was everyone was like in it together. Yeah. Like the, the adults and the, 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 you know, middle-aged guys and even the young guys were like cheering for these kids. Like it was like they, had, they thought they had like a legitimate shot to like make the team. Right. And I was like, this is so cool. Like these kids are being cheered on by the adults. Like, the coaches were like, all right, you know, you're standing at shortstop. You're, you're going to take this ground ball, and, you know, you're going you're gonna to hit. Like, they're going to make them hit. They're going to make them throw. Like, they put them through the entire workout, and I was like, this is really cool. <laughs> How many people tried out? We had about 45 or 50 people try out. So were you looking for people who could compete? Because they were going up against. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we, wanted, we wanted some characters. You yeah. know, we wanted to see if were, were there any stories, any characters. But, yeah, what I told Jess was, like, they've got to be able to play or else it's, they're going to go out there and they could really get embarrassed. Yeah. And we don't want that. We don't want, you know, a long – we don't want errors. We don't want a, bun- a bunch of walks. Like, we need guys that can actually go out and play. And they did. They went out and played. I mean, they didn't win, but – they put balls in play. They made plays on the infield. Like, they actually played. It was cool. <laughs> and we talked a little bit about, I said that I listened to, like, 10 of your unpeeled episodes on the car ride up yeah. here. So how have you best utilized that podcast, and, like, what made you guys start that? Just to, like, get to know the players that you're bringing in. I know you've had uh, media from Savannah yep. come in as well. What's, what's the take there? For us on the podcast... And even some of our other media stuff, you know, Facebook Lives and and whatever else, we started realizing that people needed to know us, the the people behind the brand. So, like, for example, you know, most, most companies, most businesses, most teams, whatever... They're really good at making the brand look cool. The logo looks so right. cool and the hype videos and, and all these things that, like, make it this kind of sexy brand. But what we realized was that can get, like, super cold at some point because it just becomes the logo over and over right. and over again. And these hot sizzle reels and, you know, super cool hype videos and super produced stuff. And so we kind of said, what would it look like if we went less produced on stuff? And just made it a little bit more raw and do the Facebook lives and do the podcast where it's just, hey, we're talking about, you know, behind the curtain type things, things that you have never heard before, stories you might have never heard before, and just kind of our general thoughts on like, hey, here's what's going on behind the scenes of the bananas. And so that was kind of the heart behind it and kind of kind of where we wanted it to go from. We didn't want it to be like, all right, and this weekend bananas, you know. Right, yeah. Jim, Jim Bob went five for six. They forget that crap. It's like, <laughs> no, what are the cool stories and with, with some of the players? Right. We've been able to tell some really cool stories and, and meet some guys that are like, man, this is awesome. Uh, and then those players, and even us, you know, we, we go out and, and see people in the stands and see people at the games, and they're bringing up some of those stories that we've already told on the podcast. And so that was the heart behind it, just giving people that behind-the-scenes experience. Uh, so when you guys 
came here in 2016. You were living in Charlotte. You interned with the Grizzlies yeah. before. Yeah. You worked in minor league ball with the Royals organization, yes. correct? Uh, so when you came here, when Jesse approached you about moving to Savannah, how quick of a decision was it for you to make? So for me, the, the decision to go from, you know, Royals to here, what I re- so what I had seen, I'd already seen both sides of this stuff. Yeah. So I, I had seen the Grizzlies, which was, you know, th- this smaller organization that had seen some really cool growth. Right. But I had seen Jesse and Emily show how you could take the red tape off of baseball. And well, even a step forward, a step backwards, I had interned, I had interned with the Royals before that. And so I saw a lot of red tape, and then I saw Grizzlies, no red tape. Then I went back to the Royals, red tape, and then it was like, man, what could baseball be like if we really just ripped the red tape off this thing and showed people this is what baseball is supposed right. to be? And so that's what drew me to it. The second thing was like, it was an opportunity for us to really create something brand new that we could really put our entire fingerprint on and say, this is us. This is what we believe a brand new baseball team in Savannah could look like. And baseball had been here for 90 some odd years and it had come and failed every single right. time. And then finally they said, forget it, we're leaving. Baseball will never come back to Savannah. And we thought, man, what a cool opportunity to actually bring this thing back. And by red tape, do you just mean by, like, certain rules you had to follow in minor league ball and certain rules that pertain to, like, the big leagues? Like, you come here, you guys do your own thing, and it's just a massive hit. You don't have to listen. Oh, it sounds terrible. You don't have to listen to anybody. Right, you know, it's, yeah. It's, it's, you don't have to get approval from anybody. Yeah. If you want the players to, to run a camp or if you want the players to do, you know, extra autographs or, or hand out programs at the front gate or, you know, do a dance or hand out, like, you don't have to get approval from anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, you set the tone up front and say, hey, here's what we're going to be a part of as you come into this team. If you're a player, this is what you can expect. And, and of course, in the big leagues and in the minor leagues, they've put tons of money into these guys. And they, they don't want them to get hurt. They don't want them to focus on anything else besides baseball. And we believe that if you can have fun and you can take the buttoned up, you know, um, just strict, you know, hierarchy that's created in baseball that says, you know, you report to me, you report to me, you report to me, and unless this person approves it, you know, none of this can happen. Right. Um, if you can get rid of all of that and let guys just have fun and showcase their personality, we believe that their performance really starts to blossom. Now, was this, like, always... Was that, like, your always your creative mindset going in? Like, working for the Royals, did you ever reach out to anybody and say, hey, maybe we could do this, maybe this will draw more attention, and then you just got road, roadblock after roadblock after roadblock? You know, we, we, we were all, it was always just, it was always kind of understood and told to you beforehand, like, hey, they're off limits. Yeah. Don't do anything to disrupt this. And if you want to do crazy stuff on your own, go do crazy stuff on your own. But anything that involves these guys, like, stay away from. Now, they, they, they did, we did, we did a, you know, a couple things with them. Obviously, they always signed autographs right. for us before the yeah. games. They were, they, they were great. They were great guys. Um, 
we did a Little League takeover where we took the entire team to a Little League facility um, and we surprised these two teams and, you know, our players ran out with their players and our players, you know, were on the field doing things. And so, so we did have some fun with them. But certainly, you will never get, you know, any minor league baseball player to wear a kilt during a baseball game yeah. um, or do a dance on the field or, you know, any of that stuff. Um, it is just kind of that balance of, hey, the players are here to do this. You guys can operate outside of that, right? But don't you know? Don't bring them together because that's just you know too crazy for anybody. Oh yeah, and I feel like in today's world, it's probably been like this forever. Not having that environment like you guys have here at the Bananas, there's like friction between players and operations, yep. even media. Like I had an interview last night, and the players were just like, "Really? Like nobody wants to see media? Yeah. Like slap that credential on you, you're automatically like the villain in the room." But um, so you guys. Come here in 2016. Talk to me a little bit about the early struggles that you guys had, because it wasn't just like flip of the switch. You guys were like a massive hit here. Right. So the struggles we had in 2016 really stemmed from, you know, professional baseball had been here for 90 years. And so we come in and we confused people. They were like, all right, you're not professional, you're not affiliated with anybody, you're not, you know, the Mets, like, what are, what is this thing? Right. What is, it, what is college summer wooden bat league baseball? It seems so, you know, elementary, it seems so, you know, just low and, and, and you know, not important. And so for us, it was like, all right, we we're already, you know, strike literally, not, not to be cliche, but we were already strike one. And then strike two was like, we didn't have a name. Right. We didn't have an identity. And so we were this like Savannah baseball team, you know, and, and we're here to be a Grayson State. And so nobody knew who we were. Nobody trusted us. And then lastly, they were just like, wait, baseball's failed here. The team left. They say that the stadium's no good. They say that the stadium sucks. They, they left and built a $50 million stadium elsewhere. How will you do anything different right. than what all these previous professional teams had done? And so it was just this myriad of, of struggles and confusion and chaos that we had to overcome. And so it was, it was, like, it was just literally hand-to-hand combat with people. And it was like, hey, here's what we're trying to do. We want to be more fun, more valuable, more crazy, more excitement, more enthusiasm, more entertainment. We want to do all that, but you just got to come to one game. Oh, yeah. You just got to come. Because I can tell it to you, and I can show you videos of what's happening in Gastonia, and I can you know, tell you all these crazy ideas, and I can show you the prices on the all-you-can-eat and food and drink, but, like, you've got to come, and you just got to see it. And so for four or five months, we sold, like, four-season tickets. Like, struggling. And it was like, you'd call, and they laugh at you, and you try to go to a meeting, and they're like, forget this, you know, good luck, get out of here. We were trying to sell these way overpriced sponsorships, and we were just confusing the crap out of everybody. And then, finally, we had a few people start believing in us. You know, November, December, January, and then in February, we announced the name, and that's kind of when everything just... Freaked out from there, and we talked a little bit about um, earlier player and operations, like the relationship there. Players seem to be completely involved with all the promotions that you guys do. How hard was that uh, recruiting players earlier on in twenty sixteen, even twenty seventeen? I think the players, the, the recruiting the players in two thousand sixteen, they didn't know what they were getting themselves into right. without a doubt. You know, so we hired a guy, Sean West, who had worked with. Uh, Jesse and Emily previously at, at a previous team, so that helps. Right. And for, so for us, it always starts with coach. Hire the coach 
because he's that direct contact with these guys every single day, and he's got to be the one who reiterates and reinforces it to them to say, hey, yes, we're baseball players, but you know, signing autographs, taking pictures, handing out stuff at the front gate is also equally or if not more important than the stuff we're doing on the baseball field. And so it starts with the coach who really just reinforces those things with those guys because if not – then we're just saying these random things to them. And then the coach comes in and says, yeah, forget that. We're here to play baseball, and that's it. If you do that, you're lost. We right. lost everybody. Yeah. So it takes that coach to come in and say, yes, this is important. We're going to do it. We're going to have fun. And, oh, by the way, we're going to be really good at baseball this year. Yeah. And, of course, that first year we won the championship, yep. which is just, like, insane. And so then fast forward to Tyler, Tyler Gillum, our current coach, who was a recommendation from Sean. He's taken it two and three steps further to say, this is so important that we impact the people that come to these games, the kids, the families, the one-timer, the season ticket holder, like every single person, he wants to impact them in a positive way, and he knows that it can't just happen on the baseball field. And so he really pushes these guys to say, get out of your comfort zone yeah. and do something a little bit outside. Now, when you guys do all these unorthodox things, how difficult is it? How difficult was it previously to get it past the commissioner? I know now yeah. you guys are on good terms, but how difficult was it early on trying to get everything past the league? I think with the the, the league, the 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 line that the commissioner that Justin has to balance yeah. is he doesn't want to show favoritism, and, and, and rightfully so. He's got 13 or 14 other owners that he also has to listen to. And so he knows that, and we know this as well, that by telling us yes on something, he's going to get flack from the other 13 or 14 people, which is a tough position to be in. The thing that Justin has really embraced is that he knows that the more attention we can get, the bigger the league grows, the bigger the brand of the league goes. When, when our players leave this league and go back to school at the end of the summer and say, dude, playing the Coastal Plain League was so much fun, they don't take themselves too seriously, they're scouts at every game, you get the best buses, you get amazing post-game meals, you get great locker rooms, you get great exposure, like, you're elevating not only the Savannah Bananas, yeah. but, like, by the way, the Coastal Plain League just keeps getting elevated. So he's really he's really fought for that, and he's really, you know, really stuck up for that. And I think that's really what has benefited not only us, but, like, showcasing this league to so many different people. He's been a big, you know, a big proponent of just doing things differently. Oh, yeah. And when you guys got here in 2016, you mentioned you didn't have a name at first. Mm -hmm. How many names did you actually go through before you sold on the bananas? So there were... With, with the names, there was there was close to a thousand submissions. There were about 700 unique ones. So like you know some of them repeated and, and came in over and over and over again. And we did go through every one. Like we just right. rolled through. like what is that? We started getting down to you know 10 or 15. There was like um, the, the fighting pralines was one, really funny, the angry shrimp. Um, the party animals was was nice. it was a funny one. Nice. Uh, we actually shortened it to, to party, uh, and we thought it'd be really cool to have a chant that would just say "Let's go party, party. let's go party, <laughs> let's go party." Uh, we thought that could be funny, but then party animals was kind of like that gives a persona to it, like the party animals. Um, to go cups was funny. 
we, we knew we had to have something unique. Right. And so we immediately got rid of, in our minds, we, 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 we couldn't be just an animal or, you know, some other inanimate object. Um, we had to be something that could have some craziness to it. Because if we weren't anything outside of the box, then we're just the next team. We're just, oh, right. the next team is the Savannah you know, Braves or whatever it is. And we knew it could not be that. And so when we were trying to identify which name would work best, it was like, what's crazy? What gets people talking? What gets people's attention? And one lady suggested Savannah Bananas, and we were scrolling through, and we kind of stumbled on it, and it was like, Savannah Bananas. Savannah Bananas. Like, this could be it. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) Savannah Party, that... But was that like second? That was, I don't remember, I don't think we actually got logos drawn up for it. But it went like it went as far as what would the chance be? What would the logo look like? Right. There were some like further conversations. What would it look like to be the Savannah Party or the Savannah Party Animals? <laughs> that might be a a, a, um, a uh, alternate logo tonight, one night or something. Oh yeah, like the Utter Tuggers up in <laughs> yeah. Wisconsin. For sure. Um, so you guys do the podcast. At the end of every episode, you have, like, the box of ideas that you bring yeah. out. How often are you guys coming up with ideas? It seems like almost every day. And how many ideas do you utilize? Like, do you do at least one different promotion every game, if not, like, multiple different promotions? So the idea box was something that, like, we want people, we want to always be, you know, reinventing. Right. And it's actually funny. We have, we have a whiteboard in the office and there's yellow post-it notes of, of historical ideas that have come out. And it's funny, actually, every this off-season, I was, I was just kind of eating lunch, and I was going around them, and I was like, oh, we actually did that. And then I, like, I literally like pulled four or five down, and I was like, holy crap, we're doing these now. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of the idea box. It's like, we don't want to just come up with crap and throw it against the wall and be like, oh, that's so funny. And then, all right, never do that. It's like wait, what would it take to actually do this? And we're trying to reframe our mind. Most times, most times when someone has presented an idea, they think, all right, how can this not work? Why will this not work? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, well, too expensive, no, too crazy, no, too, too this, too that, no, it's not going to work, not going to work. And we're really trying to reframe our minds, like, all right, idea comes, what would it look like? Yeah. How could we make this work? Who would be responsible for it? What would we need? What would we need to pull it off? And so, you know, that was kind of the idea of the idea box: is let's put things in it and let's train our minds to come up with ways on how things could work. And so, I would say that over the course of the idea box, there has definitely been five, six, eight, ten, you know, ideas that have come forward. We've had probably one or two every season. Um, or an iteration of the right, idea, yeah. like, all right, that's a little crazy. What if we did this, this, and this, and then it could work like that? I know the other day, Jesse was mentioning, uh, he came to me, he was like, what if we did um, Dizzy Bat before the first pitch? Like, what if we made someone do Dizzy Bat right. before they threw the first pitch? 
And it's like, okay. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, what if we did this, this, and this? What if we made him bend down to pick up the ball? Because that would really throw them off. They'll definitely fall down during that point. And sure enough, we put it in play that night. The guy did dizzy bat 10 times. We made him reach down to pick up the ball. He tumbles over, stands back up, stumbles some more, rocket fires a pitch and actually threw a strike to home. Oh, my God. I was going to say, like, did it just, like, fly into the stands, hit someone in the head? And so that's the beauty of the idea box is, like, let's just see what happens. So out of all the promotions you guys do, given any different ones that you guys do, have there ever been, well, I'm sure there have, but have there ever been any promotions where you've done them and then you, you've grown off the field and you're just like, that that did not work? Or oh, that all the time. Yeah. All the time. I mean, you do things where they're... What 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 you have to you have to look at, especially from an entertainment perspective, and we're not expert entertainers by any, by any stretch of the imagination, but there's things that look really cool in this like, you know, like in this office, you know, this ten okay. by ten office, like it would look really cool, but in front of four thousand fans in this grandscape of a stadium, some fans just can't see it. They don't, they don't, they can't see it. Maybe they didn't get the punchline. Uh, maybe they just really didn't understand how the game was supposed to go. Right. There's always different facets that make or break a promotion. Um, you know, we've done some some ones back in the day, like you know, salute to underwear night, and we did you know toilet paper, uh, toilet paper madness, and you know we played games at midnight before. We've tried every single thing imaginable, and there's so much more to try. Right. I think the beauty of it is. If the fans don't laugh or if they don't get it, whatever. Right. Who cares? Doesn't matter. <laughs> We're going to move on to the next one. Throw that out of the way, move on to the next one because something will hit. Right. And it's not a failure. It's just you're just continuing to discover what the next thing might be to entertain the people. And you won't find out if you don't try. You can't too. find out if you don't try. So, just some ideas that you pitched out like on the podcast. There were a couple that stood out to me, like skydiving into positions. Yep. Is that ever going to happen? Is that, like, in your plans at all to do that one I, season? I could see that happening. I definitely I, – I could see it happening. Uh, I could see the skydiving being a thing. It would take some real, real, like, I mean, months yeah. of work. Like, yeah, it would take a lot of liabilities of to, make that, to make that happen. Um, player entrances are definitely something that we always look to spice it up just a little bit. But – I could I could see at some point skydiving happening. And the other one that stood out to me was just miking up players during the broadcast. And you guys, you talk about like advertisements. Yep. You actually met. You went to Game Six and Seven of the Fourteen yep. World Series. Yep. I pay a lot of attention to these podcasts yeah. when I was listening to them. <laughs> um, you mentioned like the fans waving the towels just for the promotion. Like yeah. when they go on the yeah. air, and then it's like, all right, we're done. Yeah. Everybody sits back down. Yeah. Um, what, like, how do you guys? Um, how are you guys able to like maintain that energy in the stadium throughout the entire year, even off camera? Like, you guys all year round have people hyped up and ready to be at the ballpark at like five thirty when the gates yep. are open for a seven o'clock game. I think the hype for these people comes number one. It comes from a shorter season. Yeah. And I was I was we were, I was on a, a thing the other day. And we were talking about you know like, how do we fix baseball and all that. And, you know, if you think about college football, six, six or seven home games. NFL, eight home games. Um, you know, English, English, English Premier League, you know, 18 home games. MLS, 15, 18 home games. Like, there's these short seasons where every game feels like a monumental event. Baseball, unfortunately, has 81 
home games, and none <laughs> of them outside of opening day and the first game of playoffs really, feels yeah. like an event. And I think the, 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 the biggest part of that is we're able to make every single night feel like I have arrived at the coolest event of the summer every single night because there's only 27 of them, 28 of them over 10 weeks where it doesn't become this long, drawn-out, you know, burner of a season with 10 games in a row and six games in a row and three games in a row and just this, this worn-out fan mentality every single night feels like a special event. So I think that's where, where part of it comes from. And then the second part of it is just our mission to show people that baseball can be fun. That right. baseball is supposed to be fun. And whether that's promotional videos or skits or parodies or music videos or just you know crazy shenanigans that we're doing in the office, it's like we want to have fun and we're just constantly building it up, building it up, building it up. And then you get to the season and it's like, Holy right. crap, we're yeah. Here. Yep. Uh, what are some of specifically? What, what are some of the worst promotions, like most embarrassing ones? You think you've done that? Like you were like that did not work. I know personally for me, uh, the, the worst one I I personally pulled off was um, I was the MC one night uh, in Gastonia, my very first year. For whatever reason, I was the MC that night, and um, I mixed up my innings, and I thought I was going down to read off. Uh, the the fifty fifty winner, right? And it was actually the middle of the seventh, and I was supposed to have a group down there to sing "Take Me Out to the Ball Game," uh, and I walked on the field by myself to read off the fifty fifty winner, and the PA announcer said, "All right, down to Jared for "Take Me Out to the Ball Game," and I was on the field by myself, having <laughs> "Take Me Out to the Ball Game," and it was absolutely insane. Another one we did, and this is kind of a similar thing. Are uh, you talk about you know being imp- having improvisation? Our PA announcer last season, I think, uh, was out. Okay. And we didn't have anybody to do it. And our PA announcer is Shark. And Shark is not just the PA announcer. He does the music. He does the sound effects. He is. The, he does the mic. He does everything, everything up it's, there. It's yeah. unreal what he does. He's a one man show. He wasn't going to be there for a game. And so Jesse and I had the bright idea to announce the game ourselves from the stands. <laughs> and so we carried around both lineups, the entire script, and dueling microphones, and we decided we were going to call the entire game from just roaming around the ballpark. He called the home team. I called the visiting team. We both went on the field to do all the shenanigans and games and skits. Yeah. And we absolutely wore ourselves out. Oh, my God. We, like, it got to the point where I, just, I would hand off the microphone and say, hey, fan, you know, just, just read this. <laughs> just introduce the next player. Um, we absolutely wore ourselves out. It was total chaos, oh mass confusion. No idea what was happening. Um, I don't think we're going to do that one. Uh, Just out by, like, the beer garden, like, yeah, one second. Now batting, number 15. Uh, but, you know, I'm trying to think of other specific ones that just have been been total failures. And I can't think of ones that we were just like, you know what, we're never doing that again. There were some that were just like, eh, you know, didn't get the reaction that we wanted. Um, but I don't think there's ever been some that were just total blatant, like, we just screwed up big time. Uh, most of them are just like, eh, right. that didn't make it. That didn't hit. It's just like a comedian right. throwing out a joke. Sometimes like, it's like, yeah, that didn't work. Eh, that, that didn't get over. They didn't get that one. You guys 
said early on, banana players enjoy playing for the bananas right. a lot better, and they play a lot better when being in a lot, a much more positive atmosphere and a lot more fun atmosphere. And you actually had a statistician back that up. Tell me a little bit about how that mindset plays a factor into these uh, players playing games, because you guys not necessarily have the greatest players mm-hmm. in collegiate baseball, but you have players who are playing at their highest level this summer. I think for us, when we talk about the players playing better because they're in Savannah, the mindset came from if you have more fun, your performance will be indicative of that in a positive manner. And we, we kind of just took it from, well, our record's better, and we won the championship the first year, and we made the playoffs every single year, and we didn't really have any sort of, like, facts behind it. We were just like, yeah, yeah, sure, like, they play better, we have more yeah, fun, you know, yeah. we're, we're the best. And then this, this uh, professor, George Summers, like, I'm going to really figure this out. I'm going to really figure out if this is true. Yeah. And so he goes out and he sets out to do it, and he, he does the, you know, studies it for, he doesn't study it for three years, but he gets three years of statistics and analysis and compares it to the, you know, what the players did in the league, and he comes back and he's like, holy crap, it's true that the, these guys, when they're in Savannah, their performance is better than from when they were playing in their college. No, and so for us, the, the, the mindset for us was, We've got to allow people's personalities and in their own personas to just come out. And if you're not, if if that's not you, that's okay. We're not going to force you to be some like you know, on stage character. But we want to celebrate the people who have the ability to bat flip and celebrate and show off and be on a microphone and, you know, dump Gatorade coolers and, you know, do the Sammy Sosa, you know, three skips on a home run. Like, we want all those things to come out because if you look at other sports, like, you look at college basketball or, or the NBA, every time those guys hit a three, the whole bench does some sort of commotion. You know, the guys are doing the, the, the goggles or the three ball, whatever they're doing. Like, in hockey, there's huge celebrations. Right. In football, there's freaking celebrations. Right. In soccer, they all, you know, do celebrate. Like, when in baseball, it's like, no. Act like you've been there before. <laughs> yeah, professional. Get around the bases in less than 12 seconds on a home run. And so what we were trying to say was, if these guys have more fun, then that is going to allow their performance to blossom. And I think that's true not only in sports, but in life and in work. I know that in work, if you have more fun in your environment here, it's going to be a more lighthearted, you know, fun-loving atmosphere that people can enjoy coming to Mm -hmm. and look forward to coming to. The thing we hear from most players is that when they're at school, it is so strict and coded and specific that they just they feel cramped and it's you know work out first thing in the morning go to class go to meal come to get your pre-workout in then go to practice then go to study hall then you better be in bed by 10 o'clock and it's like they come here and it's freedom not not and, and of course freedom can be both good and bad but it's freedom to just say you know what want to have fun right and i think that's what we give them and you talk about having fun you guys went to that wwe event uh earlier in the year i'm assuming strictly just to like scout what they do on the entertainment side 
Talk to me a little bit about uh, developing characters on the field. Like, you see, like, some players, like, Craig Kimbrell has, like, his mm-hmm. thing. Edwin Encarnacion walks the parrot when he hits a home run. But you're looking more like, you mentioned in the podcast, guys, like, I'm a wrestling fan, so I know these guys. Like, R-Truth screams, like, what's up in the crowd, and everybody responds, you know? Talk to me a little bit about, like, developing characters, and have you guys developed any characters for any of the players on this team? I think what we saw in the WWE was the characters not just celebrating for themselves and drawing, you know, glory to themselves, but they were celebrating with the fans. So, like, like you mentioned our truth they're doing the what's up, what's up. It was, like, this call-and-response thing that the character knew what to do and the fans immediately knew what to do in return. And so that's what we, we, you know, in a perfect world, that's what we'd love to get to, where a player does something and the fans immediately know how to respond back to it. Right. And we've tried to start coercing that a little bit, like that, that freaking crazy song, Baby Shark. Uh, <laughs> so now when we steal a bass, Shark, our PA announcer, immediately starts playing Baby Shark, and so the guys start doing the Baby Shark stuff and all if you look up in the crowd, the fans start doing it back to them. Right. And it's like that's what you're looking for. The players, the fans coming together for this celebration that really does something cool. The other one we've seen is in soccer, and if you follow the Portland Timbers at, at all, they their fan base is is just insane. And when someone scores a goal, they have this lumberjack, literally a lumberjack, uh, <laughs> behind the goal cranks up a chainsaw and he cuts this piece of a like oak tree or pine tree or whatever cuts this this huge block of a tree off and they pass this block of wood around the stadium and then they deliver it to the player after the game it's like (laughs) that's part of their celebration oh yeah we need more of that and what do you think right now promotion wise or even like character wise is the one thing if there is one thing that gets over with the crowd more than anything it's now like two or three things the, the, the one thing that just totally you know it came kind of out of nowhere it came unfortunately it came as a sponsored thing the donut chant <laughs> we pick one batter out of every game and this is done in sports it's not something yeah. that we created yeah. but we pick one one batter every game that if they strike out Everyone in the ballpark gets a free donut from uh, from Rise Biscuits and Donuts down the street, and so we started kind of toying with the idea. Well, what if we started chanting, you know, donut, donut? And so Shark leads it, and you know he goes, you know, fans, you guys know what to do, donut. And so you've got four thousand people chanting donut at this player. For what no for no apparent reason, obviously, other than just like it's this crazed, you know, psycho group of people chanting a you know pastry at someone, and they chant donut, 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 and then the guy strikes out, and the place erupts and shows like everyone's getting free donuts tonight, <laughs> you know, thank you, yeah, and like. What's crazier is like some of the opposing players will like even tip their hat. They're just like, (laughs) you're welcome. Like, here you go. I think that has been so just crazy. We actually, we've we've gotten, and and, you know, you're not doing anything right until you get criticized, but we've gotten people every single night say, that's so rude that you would, you know, (laughs) chant against the other team. It's like, it's a sporting event. 
you don't want the other team to succeed. Yeah. We're doing everything. Like, it's not, we're not like cursing at them. We're literally chanting donut. It's not a bad thing. And uh, people just like take offense to it. But that by and large is just the most successful fan engagement player thing that has ever happened. People absolutely love it. And I was going to ask you, what's the overall consensus when a road team comes in and their parents come out for a game? What's the overall consensus when they see all these promotions? I think what, what the consensus is for most people is that they've just never seen anything like it. Right. And and they've been in other ballparks. They've been to minor league baseball games. They've been to you know some of these colleges where, you know, there might be a small college. I mean, I, I played at a small college. I actually played at a small college. And there might be 20 fans a night, 50 fans a night, you know. Maybe on a weekend there's 100 people at the game. And they come here, and it's like this raucous atmosphere from start to finish and you you literally see some of the guys kind of looking around like what is this place mm-hmm. uh, and it, it's you know it's got to be the biggest home field advantage because traditionally especially in summer league baseball the teams aren't supposed to win you know it's, right, yeah. the guys are coming to get better and it's similar to minor league baseball it's like the teams aren't supposed to win it's like the guys are coming. They need to get their stats up. They need it's to like improve. at bats, yeah. They're trying to improve themselves. Yeah. And so that's borderline the total opposite. Oh, like, yeah. we want to freaking win. And by the way, you're going to get better. You're going to get your at bats. You're going to get your innings. You're going to get all your reps. But, like, there's this sense of, like, we've got to do this. And as we get later in the season, as we get closer to the playoffs, um, that keeps coming out more and oh, more. Oh, yeah, and more. for sure. People are like, We've got to do this. Oh, yeah, for sure. And just a couple more questions for you. One uh, being which, just a couple of these ideas. I know you guys made the Savannah Banana Beer, which I find very fascinating. Actually, brew bananas in your beer. And then the other thing, I don't know if it's like a banana boat or whatever you guys are riding around. They're riding it in in the bullpen, too. Mm -hmm. I see you guys, like, on your Instagram and Facebook stories just, like, riding around in the outfield. Tell me a little bit about how those came about. I know you guys were talking about the banana boat idea a little bit on the podcast. Right. How, who'd you guys team up with to, like, brew the Savannah banana beer? And, like, it, does it taste good? So the banana <laughs> beer came from a uh, service brewing company downtown. Right. So a great group of people. We, we've worked with them from the beginning. And, you know, a lot of these people kind of approach us and say, hey, We've got an idea. You know, what if we brewed a you know banana beer? Right. And we were like, yeah, let's try it and see what it's like. And sure enough, they put the very first year they they put three hundred sixty pounds of bananas in it. Um, this year they put seven hundred twenty pounds <laughs> of bananas in it, and it is good. It's good. It's 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 a light lager. Right. Um, it's it's certainly banana flavored. It's yeah. not like the fake you know, uh, syrupy, sugary right, banana flavor. Yeah. It's just got this hint of a, of a fruit in it. Um, and it's a, it's a lighter, um, you know, it's a lighter lager that's just kind of refreshing to drink yeah. uh, during the summer. Like, it's a good summertime beverage. And we serve it on draft, and we have these really cool cans. And, you know, the, the cans, I think, is what, are what stands out the most because they got the banana peels on them, and they got the logo on them. It's just this really cool can. And you see it walking around the ballpark, and everybody's like, I want one of those. Oh, yeah. Whatever that is, I got to go try it. And so that, that's kind of where it came from. And you have these cool collaborations with people where it's like, you win, I win, the fans win. Like, let's do it. Let's make this happen. 
Um, and, and so that's, you know, we have a, a, a 1950s Volkswagen, you know, van that, that parades around the ballpark now. And that was just a fan who said, hey, I've got this 1950s VW, and, you know, I'd love to get it wrapped up in yeah. bananas logos and hippie, you know, peace signs and all that <laughs> stuff. He's like, would you guys use it at the ballpark? Right. Like, well, heck, yeah, that'd be amazing. Um, the banana boat was kind of a similar thing. It was like, you know, we, we always joked about going to the lake and, you know, going on banana boat rides. And we were like, all right, we got to find one. Like, where, where do we get them from? Who makes them? Yeah. Sure enough, we found the banana boat guy. And we were like, hey, can we get one and drag people around the ballpark? <laughs> I'm not sure if it's safe or not, but we're going to try it. Right. And, yeah, three kids every night get a little banana boat ride oh, around that's the field. Nice. Uh, and they're waving and praying around. It's just like, <laughs> it fits. It how fits how fast can you uh, cruise in that thing? I think we keep it at like 10 miles an hour. Can you go more? Oh, 100%. Those things are gas powered. <laughs> that, that, that machine's gas powered. Just you cruising go, around you those things. 35. <laughs> Not safe at all. All right. So, last question before I let you go. We mentioned earlier, like, you went to those World Series games, uh-huh. and basically they made you wave around the towels. Everybody went crazy just for the TV yeah. when it aired on TV. What do you think the number one problem is in professional baseball? And do you think that one day they could ever do something like the Savannah Bananas are doing? I'd have to say the, the one problem that, that baseball faces is that they cannot keep the attention of people. And yeah. that's, a, that's a myriad of problems. That's again, 81 home games, 162 events, Unbelievable. Yeah. Not, I mean, you, you just can't follow along for that long. So you've got that. You've got the games are being made for TV. You know, uh, like I was mentioning with the Royals, like that world, those World Series and playoffs games are crafted for television. Yeah. And so if you go to the game and if you take a kid, nine years old, 10 years old, whatever, to their first baseball game and every half inning, there's a two-and-a-half-minute break of literally nothing. Like, mm-hmm. sit in your seat and watch. Like, just right. Every half inning that happens. And then, not only that, baseball is void of most action during the inning. There was a, a USA Today article, and I think it said a, there's a ball put in play every four-and-a-half minutes or something like yeah. that. And so, heaven forbid, you miss one of those. You're going to go ten minutes Without seeing any action. Now, yeah. you, can, you can argue, oh, football, there's only, you know, three and a half seconds of action. Yes, but it's every 20 seconds. Yeah. Every 20 seconds, you're getting a play, a play, a play. And it's always action. There's always a hit. There's always a tackle. The, the ball's always, like, something's happening every single time. So if you took that to baseball, if every 20 seconds a ball was put in play, or, you know, it's like something was like, that would be cool. But no, 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 no. Right. Every four and a half minutes <laughs> or every ten minutes, something is actually put in play. And, uh, you know, people talk about the beauty of a no-hitter. And, the beauty, and I'm a baseball guy. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. There are beautiful like, – it's a cool thing that a, that a pitcher can go out there and shut somebody down 27 straight times and, not, and have nothing happen. But it's like yeah. literally nothing happened. Yep. And if you're a nine-year-old kid and you go to these games – I can't imagine what that experience is like for for someone going to a baseball game for the very first time. Unfortunately, and you'll see this, and I just read another article about this. The commissioner came out and said that baseball attendance, he said this in June, 
that baseball attendance will be down again for the sixth out of seven years. Again, down again. Yeah. There was another article that just came out a week or so ago that said ticket revenue will be up this year by $20 million. Ticket revenue will be up by $20 million. Attendance is down. Ticket revenue is up. Makes no sense. Because all and, – and the people that were doing it said, well, they just – all they did was increase prices. Right. So they increased the prices. They're making more money. The attendance is going down. They're also going to come out – mark my words. They're going to come out at the end of the year, and they'll brag how baseball revenue has hit its all-time high for the last, you know, three years. And they'll make $10 billion, probably $11 billion this year. TV revenue, sponsorship revenue, all the crap it comes from and attendance will continue to go down because they're building this thing for the money, for the owners, for the people who are trying to get paid, and unfortunately, the fan is going to get left out. And that's probably the most unfortunate part. And I think what you'll see is that baseball, similar to hockey, will become a hyper-regionalized sport. Yeah. uh, Where the fans in those fan bases are super excited It'll be hyper-regionalized. Um, the national phenomenon of baseball will just continue to fade and fade and fade. And even me as a baseball fan, I don't know what goes on the West Coast. Right. I don't. I mean, I, I barely know what the Braves do. I don't know. I mean, I don't really know what, what, what else happens because I'm not watching it. Right. I'm not really seeing it. It doesn't really get covered that much. And the fans kind of get left out. And you guys actually played a game. I don't know if it was like last fall or a couple of years back where you guys actually played a game. It was like an hour and 39 yep. minutes long. And you guys asked the coaches and the players after the game, like, that's the most fun I've ever had yep. playing. So what were the rules there? Like, you had to step back on the mound like every 10 seconds? or So, yeah, it was a secret game that we did this fall, a couple of secret games we did this fall. And the idea was could we play a hyper – uh, pace game yeah. where there was action all the time and we were trying to eliminate the crap that people don't like. Eliminate the walks. Eliminate um, uh, eliminate guys stepping out. Eliminate guys stepping off the rubber. It got to a point where there was a pitcher, a left-handed pitcher. We were timing. You know, we, we were trying to time all this stuff, see how it was going. He was throwing a pitch every seven seconds. <laughs> the ball would hit the mitt. He would have another pitch ready in seven seconds. He went three up, three down. It was the most electric three up, three down I'd ever seen in my life. People were screaming. Coaches were screaming. People were high-fiving each other. There was like 12 fans that were watching. They were like, this is so cool. <laughs> and he was just like, boom, 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 boom. You were seeing something. You, were, you found something yeah. was actually happening. The, the, the biggest thing that we were trying to, to also solve was that we wanted to make baseball, you know, we talk about taking ideas from other sports, making baseball similar to a boxing match. Right. Where every round counts. And there's no blowouts. There's no, well, it's 15 to nothing. We're going to bring the shortstop, you know, to throw the rest of it. Yeah. Get out of, you know, get that crap out of here. We wanted every round to count. So each inning is a round. If you score one run and the other team doesn't score in the first inning, you're up one to nothing. Nice. If you score one, one run again in the second inning... You're up two to nothing. If you score five runs in the third inning and you still win that inning, you're only up three to nothing. The, 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 the losing team still has a chance to come back, and that's actually what happened. They were up four to nothing. In the, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I take that back. They were up. Uh, it was 0 0, zero, zero. They, they tied, tied, tied. And then 
tied again, or I think they, they tied again in the fourth or something. Basically, the fourth or fifth inning was worth like four points or five points because we carry over the points all the way till the end. And so like the, the stakes continued to rise and they scored a run in the fifth inning and they got four points, whatever, right then. And it was like, boom, they're back in the game. Right. They were, they were struggling over and over and over again. Then the fifth, they got back in the game. It ended up going nine innings. And we played that nine innings in 99 minutes. And it was like, that was the coolest thing we've ever witnessed. That we could play nine innings of baseball in 99 minutes. Every inning counted. We had a walk-off at the end, which what everyone wants. Everyone loves the walk-off. Every single game, every single inning mattered. And at the end of the game, we got this electric finish where a winner was, you know, crowned, but everyone stayed and was just fired up and was passionate about it, and the excitement was there. And players weren't, like, exhausted at all? Like, they were actually all just like, that was awesome. No. It was, it was quick. It was quick. It wasn't drawn out. You know, it wasn't a four-hour game where everyone's just, like, sitting around, you know, waiting for the next thing to happen. It was quick pace. We were in. We were out. The game was over. And they were ready to do more. I am so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's probably gonna break up with you. He's definitely gonna break up with me. Should've used tick pick. Wait, what'd you say? Tick pick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, tick pick. I thought you said tick pick. No hidden fees. Download today. Thanks again to Jared Orton from the Savannah Bananas, El Presidente down in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, Again, Savannah baseball taking over collegiate baseball, especially the Coastal Plain League down there on the south side. And, of course, go check out Spencer Confidential, starring Mark Wahlberg, Post Malone. You know it to be true on Netflix now. Watch it on your jacket, your shirt, your hair. It's on Netflix. Watch it right now. This was episode 171 presented by Belly Up Sports. Follow us on the Twitter at Belly Up Sports and follow, follow uh, what was it, the uh, at Belly Up Sports Podcast Network as well at Belly Up Podcast Network on both Twitter and Instagram. Remember, this episode is sponsored by both TickPick and Mecha Nutrition. Use the promo code OSHO10, that's capital O-S-H-O-W-10, for $10 off your next order using TickPick.com. You should have used TickPick, you bastards, and used the promo code OSHO20, that's capital O-S-H-O-W-20, for $20 off your next order at MechaNutritionStore.com. If you're into banging weights, eating steaks, and sleeping eights, remember, swole is the goal, size is the prize. Hit it, Hootie. Yes.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.